And we're off. This is an exciting show. 22 years in the making, as I just said backstage. Um, before we get to our special guest tonight, we've got Mike McFarlane, um, a guy that I looked up to. I was really excited when I was pledging the Omega Mu chapter of Phi Gamma Delta. There were a few things and a lot of people that that uh, drove me to that point of saying, like, yes, I want to um, start building relationships and friendships here. Uh, one of them was Ruthie and the fantastic cooking um, that happened from that wonderful woman. Um, another one was the idea that like, hey, we're a month away from our first trip to Fiji Island, which it was not a, you know, um, tropical island in the Pacific. It, it was somewhere else. We'll get to that. Yeah, most um, people don't add island to the behind Fiji to confirm that you're talking about Fiji. <laughs> We'll jump into that a little bit. We don't need to tell all the stories, um, but we we can certainly go from there. But um, Mike, wonderful to have you on. Then Maddie, we got to catch yeah. up on the weekend. What you thought of of you know sports? What happened? Whether it's college football, NFL, and then Mike, feel free. This is this is our show. This is your show. Um, it's, it's here for us. So welcome. Yeah, yeah welcome. Good to have you. Uh, yeah, Gibby, I love how you've uh, now joined Green Room and Backstage. We're just slowly <laughs> evolving to the point where before we know it, it's going to be this whole like massive experience that you've curated in your mind. So I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot to talk about over the week. I kind of like didn't do a lot of sports this weekend. I took a break. It was none of the football games were compelling. College football, while I watched it because I always do, all of it sort of went to plan. Not a lot of chaos. So it was a kind of a nice weekend to tune out and not do any sports. But I don't I don't have a better update than that. That's all I've got for you. Well, and you did play your first round in three months today. I did. I did. Played 14 holes. Yep. Yeah. If we have any listeners who happen to be going on a golf trip in the next four or five months and happen to be drafting a team for that golf trip, everything was in play. Everything was right where it needed to be. So just I'll leave that there. So, um, Mike, it's been, I don't know, last time we actually had a conversation, I think when like first Facebook first started, you were teaching, um, and in a way, and you were sending videos out and at times there might've been some crazy sunglasses, but I know things might've changed, um, from then, but, uh, so tell us where you're at now and, and, you know, we'll dive into a little bit of the history too. Sure. Yeah. So, boy, you just referenced when Facebook started. <laughs> it was 2008. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crazy for, thing. Like, for people that weren't in college. Yeah. No, yeah. I had it in college too. Yeah. Ugh. Thing to to use as a tool to connect with people, and that was a great way to do it, right? You, you know, you referenced that time. At that time, I was teaching abroad with my wife uh, in a rural school in the jungle, uh, really in the jungle mountains of Honduras. Um, mm. We kind of wanted to, to get to a, you know, uh, an area of the world that would give us a little perspective. Uh, and I think, you know, going to a, a third world country and then, you know, further removing ourselves into, you know, a remote part of that country was, was a good, a good way to grow, you know, as a human being, um, an outlet to, you know, to get into a classroom. Um, I did not get my degree, you know, um, in education. Yep. And so where my wife was, you know, already a teacher with a lot of experience, 
I applied uh, my instructional background, uh, you know, through ski instruction and coaching and things like that. And I did go ahead and get a teaching English as a foreign language certificate before moving down there. Um, but ultimately, you know, I got to I, I got to say it was a really eye opening experience. Um, it was not just formative for me. It was formative for us as a couple. Uh, mm. We got to live in a literally in a, you know, one of those kind of corrugated tin roof shacks. Um, yeah. We did that for a year. It was great. Um, and we can get more into that, into some of that history stuff, but long story short, you know, that road brought us closer as a couple. We decided that, you know, she would, she would leave her place in Denver and come and join me, uh, when we got home where I had been living in Summit County, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what brought me to Summit County, Colorado is just, it's really just skiing. Uh, it's snow sports in general. I've been passionate about that since I was really a young kid. I was really fortunate. You know, I came from a family without without a lot of means, quite frankly. You know, I grew up on a small, uh, small, really rural farm in uh, in Windsor, Maine, and <clears throat> fairly active farm up until the time my parents got a divorce in the late 80s. And and then things, you know, rapidly shifted as my dad kind of left the scene. Um, and, you know, we moved on as a family from that kind of dynamic where we were, you know, hunting, trapping, uh, growing a lot of the food that we ate. Um, and so I was really fortunate that my dad, uh, and my mom, you know, they really found time to, to, to provide us a new outlet and skiing was that outlet. And cool. back then it was, it was very, you know, uh, budget minded, very budget minded skiing. So being from Windsor, which is close to Augusta, you know, we did a lot of trips that to play country. in mountains, Skowhegan, uh, we would, you know, we'd go to Mount Abrams, which was relatively close to the Bethel area. Um, and then, you know, even places like Saddleback, Sugarloaf and Sunday River at times, you know, that was for us was an expensive trip. And so um, I just feel a lot of gratitude for the fact that my dad, um, you know, he was kind of the first trip I took. He was like, hey, you know, I want to take you to learn how to ski, you know, let's bring your brothers and, and we're going to do this thing. And and it was like an instant love um, truly instant love, you know, to the point where, you know, I wanted skis, you know, I, I ended up, you know, getting a set of used skis and, and, and building jumps in my backyard. And we built really, you truly built a lot of jumps, Mike. <laughs> got to, you got to. So, and, uh, and, and I, I knew about this love like early on, um, in, in my story, it, it, uh, at the castle in Fiji, but, um, we, you know, would wake up Saturday morning at 9am and Ashton, Mike, um, our other friends, Hubie, JD were gone by like 530, 6am, a few yeah. other people. I know sellers would go out with you guys too. And, um, and it was like, all right, we're waking up. We're 19 years old or 21 years old, collecting bottles that are still in cans and, uh, trying to figure out what we're doing Saturday night. And these guys are gone and putting in, you know, a day's work in the mountains. And then we'd get dumped on with snow and you'd see like, all these guys are building this ridiculous ski jump that goes down the hill, like to the river. And I was like, I, I, I've skied like three times. I don't, I don't cross over the blue squares. <laughs> That's <laughs> enough for me. These guys are, well, you know, else. I knew the passion was real. <laughs> a great from the Figam days is that ski jump, you know, it was not just after the first dump. We'd actually, after experimenting a little bit, we actually, uh, went to one of those sites on campus where they were doing uh, preparing excavation work for a big a big build that was upcoming. Yeah. 
And we, we, all we did is talk to a dump truck driver, not a site <laughs> form. I mean, talk about loose. <laughs> and we said, Hey, instead of carting that off to wherever you're going to go dump it, why don't you just bring it over to this, this Figam house right down the road where you were to dump it in the backyard. And yeah. I couldn't, the guy said, yes. And I don't know, we must have brought in at least 20 yards of, uh, of grass. And he dumped it in a, in a huge mound and we reworked it. All of a sudden, all we needed was the snow to fall because we had the, the structure of this tabletop jump all built right in the backyard. So that was really the beginning of all that really fun stuff at the house, uh, you know, setting up rails and, and having essentially a backyard terrain park. So um, that's the best. That's the best. I mean, all of that was part of that that growing and, and, and kind of passion producing process of like, wow, I'm figuring out that there's a track that I'm going to be on that involves snow sports in the ski industry and things like that. So you asked yep. where I'm now, Summit County, Colorado. Uh, this is my 22nd year, uh, being in the ski industry. I've been at the same place, the same organization, uh, the same ski and ride school, all those years, uh, up at Copper mountain. Mm-hmm. It's just been, it's, it's just been a great experience. It's really afforded me the chance to forge a lifestyle here, uh, with really centered around outdoors and, you know, being from Maine and even new England in general, and a lot of places in the United States, when winter hits your outdoor life has to kind of take a back seat for a lot of people. It's like that, yeah. you know, footballs and the basketballs, baseballs and soccer balls all get put in a bin and you kind of put it away and you kind of figure out what you're going to do. And skiing really gave me that that outlet to like no winter is when i'm gearing up i'm getting ready for my my time to shine and um and i think that's really helped me stay active uh staying mm-hmm. with the environment around me and and provide honestly a, a great outlet for my children you know it starts getting dark early i mean here we are we just had our, our switch you know our fall back for daylight savings mm-hmm. it's it's cool because for most people, it's like, oh, that marks the beginning of the end of all the outdoor fun. And for us in Summit County, that's, you know, everyone is feeling the fever of like, oh, it's all about to start. Yeah. You get every season out there too. Like, and we talked about this. This is the first time you and I have met, but we talked a little bit about this in Gibby's backstage green room. And <laughs> I've spent time in Colorado where that is like, and you're from Maine too, right? So New England has a little bit of this because we do have all the seasons and we do have different activities that you can do during those seasons to stay active and stay with it. But it is a different vibe out there because the mountains and the summit County community, every, like, you know, even in Vail and other places like that, like, yeah, that's there for skiing, but the summertime people are up there mountain biking, they're riding the mountain coaster. Like there's things to do to get out in nature and be a little bit closer. And it is absolutely a fact that people who spend time outside with nature specifically near water if possible are just more mentally happy and more sure. content with what they're doing and so i'm like stoked for you plus a little jealous because i had that life for a little while and now i don't quite have it as much as i did and so i can feel like your energy coming through and i'm like i'm with it because it's just like a you it feeds off of itself so that's cool summit what? county copper was one of my favorite mountains too you I- are you're te- so you're teaching um you're one of the ski instructors there on the mountain. Well, you know, getting into copper, I, I can cover a little bit of that, but I, well, I want to touch on something you just said. You mm. talked about community, you know, oh, you have this great community. One of the things that really stands out to me from my childhood to now in Maine, especially where I was from in Maine, um, you know, really a podunk town. My town had 900 people when I was in mm. high school. Um, 
I, it was an outlier thing to be engaged in skiing and snowboarding and, and really, um, really thinking a lot about, about that type of, that type of recreational outlet. That was an outlier. You were like, Oh, yeah. oh you know, that's what you guys do, you know? And, and out here it's the complete opposite. Yeah. I think you're an outlier. If you're the person who just holes up on the couch on the weekends, yes. like, yep. here in the winter, it's not an expectation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it out there that far, but I would say that it's, it's really, it's um, a privilege living that we, that, that we really embrace and hold ourselves to. And one of my roles at copper, um, I, I have progressed, uh, in my career, you know, from just being a ski instructor and, and a coach. Um, now I, I run a lot of the ski school. Um, cool. I'm, I'm manager for the adult side of our ski and ride school. Um, and with that, there's a lot of different various programs and responsibilities I have. And one of those is the over the hill gang and over <laughs> the hill is a group of senior skiing membership. Um, and they basically come up and they have guides. We have these, uh, really tenured certified guides that go out with these folks. And we have around 300 members that participate in this program and you got to be over 50 to even be in the program. Uh, the vast majority of people are retirees. So we're talking 65 plus and, <laughs> We have here in Summit County, and this is an actual verifiable fact, we have uh, broken down by county, we have uh, the, the best longevity in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, that really speaks to the what you were just talking about. Yep. You know, outdoor life, this this constantly engaging with, with the natural world around you is a big deal. And, and I've noticed that as I do more of it, I find yeah. more in it. And it makes... It makes my life up here feel a little more full. Yeah. Um, and it makes me more and more passionate to share it with people and really start to grow that in my own family. Yeah. And, yeah. The possibilities are endless. It's awesome. It's, every, I, I encourage everybody to do it at some point, just to get out there and not be as rooted in your day to day and get out into the world a little bit. It's awesome. And you know, Matt, I would like to say that I think in Maine, that is growing. That is yeah. growing much stronger than it once was. And I'm not just talking about skiing and snowboarding. I think people in Maine have a really cool, unique worldview. And mm. um, they sort of have this like right down the middle of this mindset of like, I'm stoic. Um, yet, mm. you know, I'm looking for ways to grow and progress. I am, um, I'm independent, but I'm also willing to honor your independence, mm. you know? And, and let you be your own self. And I think Mainers have a really neat way of doing that. And I think that in just these last 20 years, since I've been gone, I've really noticed a growth in my own friends, my family that, that remain there. And there's, they're finding more of those outlets. They're finding mm -hmm. ways to, to let outdoor recreation become an ever bigger part of their lifestyle. Yep. That's a massive win because culturally as a nation, I think we're losing a lot of that. Yeah. So, I'm proud to be where I live, where I know it's really strong. It's a steadfast part of the culture, but I'm also proud to be where I'm from, you know, and yeah, it's ingrained place that has seen that light and, and they're growing towards it as well. And it's awesome. I mean, you see it in the growth of the main trail systems and taking yep. old, old railroads and converting them into, into bike paths and yep, it's, rail trails. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all on the up and up. And yep. to me that, because I think that that's healthy for humanity, period. And a lot of time too, yeah, I agree. It's like providing people the opportunity, but also the space to do it. I know when I lived in Boulder, 
and you've probably seen this, you spent some time there, they built that um, paved bike trail that, you know, has both sides and it doesn't cross any major roads. It yep. goes on, they built it under roads, through areas so that people can ride around in there and not feel like they have to stop at an intersection where it becomes an inconvenience and it's sort of like disabling the flow of traffic. So it's like accommodating for it and having the space to do it and doing it well. And I think Colorado nails that. That's definitely something I don't notice as much of here in like the I'm, general like Boston area. I'm proud of that. I'm proud. I'm proud to be a Colorado and I'm proud to support those initiatives that help fund those projects. And, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm just proud to be in a community where we, t- we take all of that, you know, that that's at the fore. That's something that people are really thinking about that they're prioritizing. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of other kind of ancillary i guess i would say like ancillary consequences that are beneficial for everybody yeah. you know, prolonged health and longevity uh Definitely. mental health in a time when mental health is a, is a crucial issue um you know i would say globally but but certainly here focused in the united yeah. states yep. for um, sure. and and we are we're, we're finding ways that that link this mindset of harnessing the outdoor culture and how it's healthy emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And Mike, I think you hit on a good point too. Like the, the proud to be, um, you know, in the community. And I, I think that that's something that you feel in Maine too. Like there is some stoicism, but I think yep. there's a tremendous pride to, to live in the Eastern <laughs> northernmost um, state. And I'm going to get to another point too. Um Maybe not the northernmost state in the uh, in the in the. <laughs> you got what I I did there. I'm a Segway guy. <laughs> you're going so, out. You're going out west. Um, we're, so you went out west initially. Um, you went further out west recently. I saw on Facebook, and my wife uh, Nina was like, "I'm so jealous. I would love to live there." So uh, Alaska. Yeah. You, you plotted some land. Um, what are you doing out there? What's yeah. what's going on? Tell tell us a little bit about the story because I'm super intrigued. It's a place Same. that I haven't been. Would love to. It's a bucket list item for me. Well, here I'll, I'll tell I'll tell a very quick abbreviated version of this whole little journey. So graduated from University of Maine, right? Phi Gamma Delta Omega Mu proud. And five days after graduation, I was in uh, a U-Haul towing my vehicle behind me, headed west. The vision was Boulder. Yep. I'm going to live there. I'm going to try to get a real job, you know, make a career. Um, I was definitely into technical writing and some things like that at the time, thinking that I would, you know, go work for a firm of some kind and, and kind of be their, you know, their editor guy, their, their PR guy doing a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I only lasted a few months because I had just, I had really underestimated how much Boulder is a city. It and is. for it was from a tiny, tiny little cow town. You know, we had one store in town, no restaurants, no liquor stores, no real businesses. We had one store and to move to a city like that, you know, I think it only had maybe 150,000 people when I moved there, it was overwhelming. And I got a job, it was an office job. And I got to say a couple months in, I was like, wow, I, you know, I, I'm kind of hating this a little bit. And what happened was one of the nearby ski areas, Loveland, which is, in the race to open first in the United States. It won the race that year. They opened, they announced, and I drove up. I actually told my boss, I said, hey, I'm going to get a little work done. Stay a little late. I want to go to Loveland. So I took a day off of work and went up. And uh, I took that drive one time. I left Boulder, 
got to Loveland maybe an hour and 40, hour and 30 minutes later. And I said, I'm not, what have I done? I'm not doing this anymore. What, what did I seriously move 2,200 miles across the country to still be this far from the skiing that I, that I, that I've envisioned is, is part of my, my plan. And so boom, I actually attended a job fair the following week up at Copper Mountain and the rest is history. I saw mm-hmm. a, ski, a, a ski instructor role. Uh, I jumped right in there and, you know, they hired me and that winter, that was it. You know, I, I only lasted. So I moved out there in May to Boulder and by late October, I had moved, uh, up to Frisco, Colorado. And, um, and, and that's really been that kind of, it was like a blunder that kind of got me to where I needed to be. And, and you'll see, I'm segueing into Alaska here. Um, <laughs> it's okay. But no, it was I love a this. 20 year journey here in the mountains. And during that time, other passions got rekindled, you know, skiing has always been number one for me. I mean, outside of things like family and my wife and, you know, my siblings who I'm still close with and who still actually have both moved from, from Maine as well. And, and we all live out here. Um, I skiing has always been kind of first and foremost. It's just, it's something I feel like I almost really couldn't live without skiing and snowboarding. I love to snowboard too. I'm into a few other, you know, kind of niche snow, snow sports like snow skating. And I'm into, you know, I've been on snow bikes and all that funny stuff. But anyway, um, I started realizing like, wow, I live in this great state that offers these supreme outdoor opportunities, skiing chief among them. Right. But then there's these other things, you know, you've got, you've got hunting and fishing here that is really hard to rival. And mm-hmm. I know, you know the diehards up in Montana would want to argue with that. And I know there's probably folks in California that would be like, Oh no, we got our places. And even the guys in Maine would be like, Oh baby, let me show you some places in Maine. <laughs> but I realized I have access to things that not a lot of people have access to, you know, I can walk right out my door and I'm not joking. My back door abuts up to our, our up to you know, federal land, U S national forest, the white river national forest in this case. And I can, I can be within five minutes, you know, half a mile out into the woods in national forest, public land. And there are, there are hundreds of thousands of acres of it right behind my house. So I started this journey of like wondering, like, you know, I, I need to grow more. You know, it's just been skiing, skiing, skiing. Like what else is there? Funny thing was to spurn all that or the catalyst for that was a, a quick trip home. Uh, one one uh, autumn, I went home uh, just for a short while. Watch out there, cat. I got a cat on my lap here. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, anyway, trip home. And I hadn't been fishing with my dad, I bet, in at least at least 20 years at that point. You know, I did a lot of that stuff growing up. We were a we were a hunting, fishing, and you know, whether 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 it appeals to your listeners or not, you know, we, we did fur traps some growing up. Um, yeah, I, I was truly a main a main hick. You know, all in. You're you're not offending our our listeners. No. We'll our do listeners the offending. Growing. Yeah, we do the offending. But has we're talk about all things. Yeah. So. There can be a we, stigma subject, so I'm just trying to be delicate there. But the, that's for sure into all that growing up. And then, you know, after the divorce of my parents and, and really going into my teenage years, I was into all the things teenagers are into, you know, get out there and chase girls and, and, you know, and drive around with your buddies and be, you know, maybe relatively delinquent and, and and (laughs) relatively delinquent could be a good, uh, if we ever need to rename the podcast, let's just keep that one in the back pocket. Yeah. You know, just, just, just pushing boundaries a little bit and testing, 
you know, my parents in ways. And, and so going out to fish with my dad was like way on the back burner and it wasn't even on the stove, you know? And so I went home, I was probably right around 30, 30 years old. And I, and I went home and, and my dad said, Oh, you know, it's a crappy day. I don't really know what else we'll do. Let's, let's go throw some lines and try to catch some brook trout. I hadn't been brook trout fishing in, in two decades at least. And we went down to the river, the one that I grew up right next to our property actually butted right up against this little river that flows through Windsor, Maine. And, uh, we caught some fish. We kept some fish. We took them home. We cleaned them. We cooked them. And it just, it was like this, gosh, it was like this moment of spark of, of realization. Epiphany is probably a little too strong, but this, this, this turning point when I said, wow, like I lost my connection to that. That is fun. And so it started again with fishing and right around. So this is rewinding about 12 years. I, I started getting back into fishing. I came back out after that autumn trip and I was like, wow, the fishing out here is incredible. Um, it's certainly mostly focused around trout and things like that, but it is, it is just world-class. People are traveling from all around the world to go fly fishing on these streams in Colorado and have these opportunities. And it's right out my back door. So it was a natural progression. I started fishing. Um, I remember when my, my oldest son was born 10 years ago. Uh, I really, you know, I started like bringing him with me, you know, in the little baby carrier on my chest. And I'm like, man, I'm going to expose him to this stuff early. He's going to see this from the get go. We started fishing and, and eating a lot of the fish and, and, and starting to, I would not go so far as to say a subsistence lifestyle, but starting to take a little piece of that, that mentality of like, boy, there's ways that we can find food out here and not need to go to the grocery store and eat healthier. And, and it started down a path mentally of there is a way that I can reconnect to my grandfather's ways and his father's ways and, and, and really connect in a meaningful way. Um, my grandfather was ultra passionate about hunting, fishing, and trapping. These were his, like, these were his passions. And he shared that with my father. Um, and my grandfather, when I referenced him, that's my maternal grandfather. Cause my father, uh, he was a foster child. So he didn't really know that kind of, that kind of mentorship that a dad can give. Um, and so he found that in my maternal, in, in his, in his father-in-law, he found that and they became very close and it was a really cool thing to see. He helped my dad grow in that. And then my dad, he, you know, he, he gave me the seed of that, right. That, that source, that beginning. And then it went dormant for 20 years. And then it was one, you know, it was a couple of brook trout from the West branch of and the sheep. Spark, it sparked the Alaska trip. And it was like eye opening. And, and my wife's like, are you like going to get all into this? Like you're, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I am. I go full. <laughs> and like so, every passions, they take a little overhead cost to kind of jump into, you got to get your rod and your reel and, and stack up your flies and your lures and all that. But I really, I really jumped in. We started catching and keeping a lot of fish, um, eating a lot more fish, which I'm sure you guys realize is, is a healthy lifestyle, you know? And yeah. And then it began the, the, the more insightful, what's next, what's next. And what's next was hunting. I was like, mm. boy, I mean, I remember going out with my family and we did a lot of hunting, you know, we ate a lot of deer meat and you know, what would that look like here in the West? And it seemed daunting at first. It really did, especially big game hunting. So I, I bit off some small stuff. I started, I, I started duck hunting and found relative success right away. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm not bad at this. You know, I could probably get into this too. And we started, you know, going out there, hunting ducks, keeping them, 
preparing them in various ways and trying to make them as palatable as possible for the whole family and things like that. And, and then it really started to take off. It started with ducks and then it graduated to, you know, I started doing more rabbit hunting. I remember doing that as a kid, you know, with my family, we even had dogs, you know, to go and help with rabbit hunting beagles and things like that. Um, getting back into rabbit hunting and realizing like, wow, like I like a slow cooked rabbit and then you pull it and toss it in a pot pie. Oh my word. Like salivating. (laughs) And, and it's all healthy, you know, like there's so much stigma around like, you know, eating too much red meat and eating, you know, industrially raised, you know, when you think about industrially uh, raised livestock and, and what's, you know, the implications of some of that kind of eating and quite, I do like to eat meat, but there might be a better way to do it. And so this was all, this was all a growing vision of eating more holistically, being, being more of that field to table mindset. Like, let me source my own food. Um, it started growing and it grew fast. It became something that I was like, wow, it's consuming more and more of my free time. I think a lot of my friends were like, boy, you were, all you talked about was skiing, you know? And now, now, now you're really, you have this new focus. And I was like, the skiing didn't go anywhere. It's still there. And I still love it. But there's this, this sense of, I can, I can have a more, um, a more tied to nature lifestyle than I ever have before. And, and I want that. I want that for my family. Um, because we're surrounded by distractions and technology and things that pull us away from that connection. And this was one way to get back into it. So, yeah, it's noble. It's a noble quest and it gets you closer to nature and it makes you, it brings you to a place that we talked about earlier where your mental state is better. So you're making better decisions. You're making better connections. You're building more, you're more creative, you're more curious. It's it's all very well defined at this point. I feel like either you do these things or you don't, but the people that do absolutely tend to have a little bit better perspective on just life as a whole. So that's awesome. That's really well, cool. The other thing I was going to point to is I I have never known Mike to not be passionate about anything <laughs> or, or um, not, not, not passionate. Sorry for the double negative. Um, so if he's into something like I'm just picturing, okay, I found two brook trout, like let's buy some land in Alaska. Let's right. <laughs> there. They're, Oh, that's funny. How did it go from two rookies to Alaska? Yeah. But hey, you just you take you're taking the you know what? Like you, you strike me as the type who you're not and Gibby, you said this to me earlier before Mike, before you even showed up. There's no it's either all or nothing. You're not half into any of these things. But honestly, you know, this the whole theory around like sunk cost. We have so many people who like dip their toe into something and do it a little bit, knitting, reading, building, cooking, woodworking, whatever. And they dip their toe in and they never really commit to it. And you don't really become an expert in it and you don't really find any passion from it. So I, I, I admire it. Like you're either doing it or you're not. There's literally no in between for you. And I think that's probably not a bad process. Like we could all do that a little more. Yeah, I think the one thing that needs to be thought about when you go all in with anything really is, you know, we talk about time management at, at my job a lot and, and how to optimize time and prioritize and things like that. And ultimately, anytime you're saying yes to something new or you're going to prioritize time around a subject or a topic or an activity, there are an infinite number of other things you are saying no to. Mm-hmm. And the balance has yeah. to be you got to make sure that you don't reprioritize and, and focus on something so much that you really leave key elements of your life behind. Right. And, and some of those things, obvi- the obvious ones are family, friends, 
Um, and you know what? I heard from my friends over the years, those who are not that into the outdoors, like, oh man, I feel like we haven't caught up in a long time. And, and I did notice that the friends I've grown closest to are the ones that also kind of engage in those activities with me. And I think that that's a natural thing in life is that we, we do surround ourselves with people who like, maybe they're like-minded, maybe they'd like to do similar things. Um, but the point being, there is this, uh, there's a, there's, there's a line we have to walk. There's a balance we have to find so that we can be passionate and hyper-focused on something that we want to grow inside ourselves. And yet, and yet not leave important elements left isolated and, and growing more distant. And that's yeah. been a balance in a growing point that I still am. I'm still working on that, but I, I think we all will. Yeah. We all will probably forever. Right. In yeah. theory. I heard so, someone talk about like the concept of buckets, right? Like, you know, what are the buckets in your life and how full are each of those? And you're, yeah. you only have this amount of water, this gallon of water. And what are you going to pour into? What are you going to, you know, and, and sometimes new buckets are introduced and, you know, there might be other ones that, that don't, you know, fill the same needs emotionally and spiritually and, you know, in terms of family. And so it's in finding what's important. So that's. So Gibby, such a great point because there are certain buckets that if you do it right and you, and you grow the right connections and relationships, you can, you can fill the buckets simultaneously. Right. And that, yep. that where I feel like that kind of self-actualization starts to happen. You're like, not only am I growing and conquering the things, the visions that I've had for a while, but I'm doing it with the people I love and care about. And then you're like, wow, like this is, you know, this is peak performance. This is, this is what life is all about. This is the journey. We think about like, I'm going to arrive someday. I'm going to be at some destination. I'm going to have achieved. But if you're doing that, you're, you're living it right now, baby. You're doing yeah. it. Yep. And that I really feel the most gratitude for. So I'm going to circle back quickly and just say, you know, it started with some small game hunting and getting out there and realizing, wow, I'm enjoying it. I can share it with my family. I can, I can provide, right? And there's like a lot of empowerment in providing. Yeah. And you guys know that just from when you have a good career and you can provide the things that your family wants and needs, there's empowerment there. And I, yep. you know, I it was the next step for me to take that into, I can, I can go harvest an animal and process it myself and turn it into food that is delectable for my family, my friends, my guests to enjoy. And so the next step, you know, was deer hunting. And, you know, I, I jumped right back into that. You know, I had as a kid, you know, not, I had never shot a deer uh, in Maine. Cause I, you know, I didn't go out much after about age 12, 13, but I, I watched my brothers have success. My father have success. And I was around that a lot. And it, and I was like, wow, like it's a daunting thing out in the West. There's a lot of space, you know, these are vast, huge spaces. And you're like, wow, one little, one little me get out there in that giant space and actually succeed at finding animals, tracking them down and, and, and successfully harvesting them. But I, 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 I'd like to say, I'm quite proud of the fact that in the, whatever it's been now, uh, six or seven years of big game hunting, I, you know, I'm batting a thousand on all my deer tags and, and it's, it's kept our freezer full. Um, in fact, right now, um, I just harvested a deer last week and right now sitting right over there on the counter, I have a slow cooker that's been on for about eight and a half hours with a deer roast. Wow. Family's going to be back from hockey practice soon. And we are just going to enjoy this incredible slow roasted deer. So, um, to, to get you into Alaska, 
it really started with, you know, I'm watching a lot of hunting shows. I'm watching a lot of fishing shows. I'm watching a lot of these outdoor shows that have become, you know, if you've got a Disney plus account, you've probably seen the national geographic side of that whole offering. And that streaming service has tons of these like reality shows that are based around people that are living this life that I'm over here going, wow, I want to want to do that. So it's a window. You're like, not only do I want to do it, but I can do it. I can do it. You know? And once I was like, man, I got to shit or get off the pot. Like, what am I waiting for? Let's do this. Let's execute. And Liz and I, my wife and I, we, 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 we knocked it back and forth, you know, and I would say for a year, we kind of just talked about it. We'd look on Zillow and Trulia and start to get a feel for what's out there, but none of it had a lot of conviction. And I, I just remember this day of being like, I'm done with this. I'm done worrying about whether or not we're going to do it or have it just be sort of this, this kind of pipe dream idea. Life is too short. I mean, I could. Thank you.